0: We're looking at what it means that the Son of God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood with us. And this morning we're going to take a very short passage to look at. It's a very key passage. It's one that we typically use at Christmas time, um, but this morning we're going to use it right now. And rather than have a reader, we're going to read it together. So if you could put the And Bible passage up, Rebecca, that'd be great. Let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And we're going to be looking at who Jesus is what it is that He will do, and how it's going to happen. And the background, which is always there whenever we look at the scriptures, is that God made the whole of creation out of love. He made us out of love. But in the beginning, we broke our covenant with him. And ever since then, down the ages, we've been running away from God, kind of with our fingers in our ears, shouting insults at him over our shoulders, and continually running away from whatever would do us good and towards the things that will give us harm. But God is not like us. And down the ages, he pursues us in our brokenness and our dysfunction. And in these last days, he's become flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Not just to comfort us, not just to be an arm round the shoulders, but to rescue and restore everything. And this is amazing, wonderful, incomparable, impossible to overstate good news. Which is why the child Isaiah describes is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is shocking in an Old Testament context. I mean, wonderful counsellor and prince of peace might be okay, but mighty God, everlasting Father, of anyone that's going to be born from a woman, that is shocking. Isaiah makes it very clear that this child will share God's nature. This child will be God, not just human And he came to love us and to share our story and to rescue us. But the focus is on him and not on us. Because we are harassed and helpless. We're like sheep with no shepherd. We do not have it in ourselves to find ourselves or rescue ourselves. the gospel is always about grace and truth but our age likes the grace but struggles with the truth the very earliest Christian creed is just three words Jesus is Lord Now that was the first Christian creed in the beginning when they wanted to summarize what it was they believed just those Three words. I wonder if we could just say them together. Jesus is Lord. In that passage we read, it's very much about justice. And there are are two sides to justice. There's kind of the criminal side with, you know, a judge on the throne and, you know, offenders. And they may or may not be guilty. And um, kind of in that sense, the whole human race is guilty. But Jesus pays the price. And that's kind of the analogy with the criminal side of justice. But in the Old Testament, it's, it's more the restorative side of justice. And and in human societies and cultures, you can only get justice in the sense of being restored if it's somebody else's fault. So if somebody pushes you down the stairs, you can claim damages and you can kind of get justice and you you can get restoration for what they did. But if you're just clumsy and you fall down the stairs, You know, there's nothing you can do. There's no point in going into the court because the judge would just say, well, you know, it's not anybody else's fault, mate. You've, you fell down the stairs. It's, you know, it's your own stupid fault. And the problem for us as humans is so much of what's happened to us, so much of what the enemy has taken isn't actually to do with other people. And whether they're at fault or not. Because the enemy tries to steal and destroy and kill. But God's justice is restorative. Irrespective of whether it's someone else's fault. Or our fault. Or not particularly anybody's fault. God loves to give back. The years that the locust has eaten, the dreams that the enemy has stolen, the hopes that got lost. The earliest Christian creed is just three words Jesus is Lord. The gospel is not me in the center. You know, justly outraged at how the universe has seen fit to treat me. And then how God can help me, bless me, heal me, provide for me, make me secure and comfortable. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. And if God is your servant, he'll never measure up. You'll never be satisfied with God. If he's your servant and he's there to kind of make your life work, he will never measure up. You'll never be satisfied with God if he's your servant. But the gospel is Jesus, for whom and through whom everything exists, coming to rescue and redeem us, and how I begin to serve, submit, and surrender to him. And in doing that, I find myself. And we live in an age of extreme individualism, where we're taught again and again and again, that we are very, very special people and all we need to do is search for the hero inside of ourselves and we will be authentically us. My generation, the baby boomers, was the first one to be told explicitly, you are special and to focus much more on what we're owed than what we owe And of course, we are special because we're made in the image of God and we're incredibly precious. But there is no way around the gospel insistence that Jesus is Lord and I am not. (coughs) And speaking for myself, God needs to bring me back again and again and again to remind me that actually Jesus is Lord and I am not. And time and again, I need to have a conversation with him about that. Because I find myself reacting and thinking and behaving as if God's kind of my servant there to do what I want, whereas actually, I will only be free in serving him. And I think for some of us today, that deliberate choice to submit to Jesus is something that you will need to do. And you won't just need to do it once. You'll need to do it again and again and again and again. And it might help you to write it up somewhere where you can see it. Just that first Christian creed. Jesus is Lord. And every time I read it, I have to say, and I am not. I am not. And then we come to what Jesus will do. And Isaiah says the government will be on his shoulders. He will establish David's throne, upholding it with justice and righteousness. And Isaiah's hearers and the messianic expectation up to the time of Jesus, they thought that meant the physical realm That King David and King Solomon ruled. But Jesus made it very clear it wasn't. He told Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. He said, The kingdom of God is within you. It's of the heart, the mind, the spirit, the community of us who follow Jesus together. It's a powerful kingdom. Paul said, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. Jesus compared his kingdom to seeds, yeast, hidden treasure. Small things, small beginnings, not visible to the world. Jesus' kingdom is largely hidden which is why being his follower is an exercise of faith. He told many, many parables about how it works. A man who sowed his field, a king who gave his servants money, a shepherd who searched for a lost sheep, a father forgiving a prodigal son, on and on and on and on. The kingdom of God is amazing. And if you look at the ministry of the apostles, as they kind of do the work of the kingdom, you, there's a waiting stage. You know, when, when you, you're not quite sure what the next thing is, it's a waiting stage. You get this with Paul quite a bit. He's somewhere... And nothing's particularly happening. And he talks about, well, we tried to do this, and that didn't work. And we tried to do this, and that didn't work. And we tried to do this, but we didn't really get anywhere. And then the Lord opened a door. Then we had a dream, or we met somebody, or there was someone down by the river, or something happened. So there's a waiting stage in the kingdom. And some of you are going to be in that waiting stage. You, you want something to happen. You're hungry for the next thing, but you don't know what it is. What's it going to be? You tried this and that doesn't work. You tried a bit of this and that doesn't work. Maybe it's a life stage change, you know. Maybe you're a student now or, you know, maybe you've got kids or maybe the kids are left. And you don't know what the next thing is. And you're in the waiting stage don't lose hope don't let the enemy take your hope and then there's the working stage you know you you got the door you got the thing and you're doing it and you're keeping on doing it and you're keeping on doing it and it's fine but it's not delivering what you hoped you know, you've been doing that group or that club or that kid's club or meeting with that neighbor or praying that prayer or joining in with this or doing that, and, and it's fine, but you're not getting the breakthrough. You're doing the work, but, but you're not really seeing. You know, you've got this household and people are coming, but, but you're not seeing what you dream of. That's the working stage Keep on going. The whole point about seeds and yeast is that they take quite a time to do their work. They take a time. One of the reasons why agricultural metaphors are so strong in the Bible is that it takes a long time for a seed to germinate and grow and produce the fruit. It's not instant. There's a working stage. And one of the tests of faith is perseverance. One of the big tests of faith is perseverance. There's the working stage and then there's the watching stage and that's the best one. When you've done the waiting and you've done the working and suddenly God turns up and suddenly God turns up and you get that healing Or those people come to faith. Or that justice that you've been working for. That restoration in people's lives. Begins to happen. And a a corner is turned. And God just begins to do it. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. But this time when you ask for healing. It happens. And it's amazing. This time... When you talk about Jesus, it feels like the message is getting through. You know, this time, when you join in that club, or that God's gang, or that household, you could hear a pin drop. And the work of the Spirit is obvious and evident. And you stand back, and you try and look busy, and God does it. And sometimes he does exactly the thing you really don't expect. And it's amazing. There's the waiting, there's the working, and there's the the watching. Because God is God and his kingdom is powerful. And then there's the how it will happen. There's that little verse at the end The zeal of the Lord almighty will accomplish this That's so encouraging Not the persistence of God's people not the faithfulness of God's people not actually anything about God's people the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The energy, motivation, resources, desire, and power of the God of heaven will accomplish this. And he also says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end which means that the kingdom of Jesus will grow and grow and grow and grow and we've had um, we've just have you just have had the 500th anniversary of the reformation and you know that's the time when martin luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church Uh, criticizing the abuses of the institutional church, of which there will always be many, and kind of launching uh, a wave of renewal and revival across Europe that caused massive conflict but also brought incredible blessing and benefit. But the thing about the Reformation that encourages me is not so much the specific victories that they won, you know, the place of the Bible, the place of grace, and things like that, but the realization that however much it seems that the church or the country is distanced from God, however bad things seem to be, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this you cannot block God's path now I don't know whether for you where you are today feels like the waiting or feels like the working or whether you've got a great big smile on your face because you're watching what God is doing and just being so happy to see it. And I don't know whether for you, submission is a live issue. It's so easy in an entitlement society to have God as your servant and then be a bit miffed. He's not really measuring up. So I don't know whether for you, submission is an issue or not. Um, but, but I want you to do a slightly brave thing with full permission if you're not used to, if you know, if you're visiting us today, you're not used to this kind of thing, do feel free you know, just to take a back seat and to pray quietly in your heart. But what I would like you to do is to get into groups of about three people, can be four if it works that way, And if you need to submit, you just say that to someone in the group. You don't need to say what you're submitting about, you know, I worship money or, you know. Whatever it is, you don't need to say what it's about. You just need to say, I need to submit. Because there is a power in bringing things into the light which isn't there if you don't bring things into the light. So if you need to submit, all you need to do is say those four words, I need to submit. And I'd like to invite you to do this with with full permission not to, if you're not used to this kind of thing, and it just makes what's this? What have I come into this morning? And if you want to, when you've done that, to say waiting, working, and watching, and let your brothers and sisters bless you in it. Just speak blessing over you in that place. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take about five minutes to do that um, and, and then we'll finish. So if you can get into threes and fours, that'd be great.